Welcome to episode one of the Sorting Challenge show. My name is Mark Lundgren. In this weekly show, I'll be sitting down and having conversations with sourcers from around the world, asking them about what their journey into sourcing was, what exciting things they're working on, and what tools they use. This week, I sat down with my friend Tris Revel from Indeed. I asked Tris to tell me the story about how he got into sourcing. So a long, long time ago in a land far, far away, I, um, I was a chef, right? And I love food. It's completely my obsession. Eating it, cooking it, growing it. Um, and during my career as a chef, I didn't have a, an amazing career, but um, I dealt with a lot of recruiters because chefs are really hard to hire. So, and they're very temperamental. So I had eventually ended up with a great recruiter who was an Asian pretty much for me. And he got me loads of great jobs. Um, and then the credit crisis happened and I came back to the UK and I knew that like the lifestyle of the chef wasn't the right thing for me. So I went to, I ended up, I wasn't, I ended up going to Bournemouth um, where my sister lives. Um, and I was like, what do I do in my job, my life? And it was like, and I've been reading, I spent like two months not doing anything sitting around and I've been reading about all these cool startups and all this like SEO stuff. And I thought like, oh, I can go do an SEO job. Or I can go and do like a, and I realized that if I did an SEO job, then I would be too bored because I wouldn't talk to enough people. <laughs> um, and if I did like a paid search job, I'm not good enough at math to do paid search. But that was what I was really interested in was digital marketing. So then I like started applying for marketing jobs and I ended up doing a door-to-door sales job. Um, and during the door-to-door sales job, it was predominantly what I was doing was basically selling people the fact that they could come and do door-to-door sales and make loads of money. <laughs> Sounds right, yeah. And then my friend got a job in a recruitment agency and I went with her, like six, three months later or six months later, I went with her into that agency. Um, and it was great. Like, it was super cool because I walked into this agency and they were super old school guys. Like, they came from that school of S3 London, like, hmm. agency. Peeps. Um, I'd been really successful door to door, you know, like I'd made loads of money because um, I found that I'm good at selling. Yeah. Um, and especially face to face. And then um, and I'm good at hiring other people and I'm good at like, like convincing people and having a high energy all the time. Um, and that's probably because I, in a kitchen, you have to have high energy all the time anyway. Um, and also I didn't have as many burns or cuts or late nights. <laughs> um, I was happy um, and I got this job at Caspian One and the guy, this is like the best thing, like this guy sat me down and he's like, here's a job spec, here's a pile of CVs, you've got 20 minutes, I'll see, find me the three CVs that can do this job. And that was my, that was my interview pretty much. I did that and he liked me and he trained me um, and he taught me loads of stuff and it was in the broadcast industry, which is what my dad had been working in. So I really knew the tech already and it just, yeah. that was easy, like, you, you know, agents that was fine i didn't like the agency lifestyle so and i knew as well like being in bournemouth wasn't going to be great like i needed to get back to london yeah. so i moved to london went to work with um rich and mel um and those guys at propel who were awesome great agency proper media tech startup agency um and my goal was always to like go and work in a wired magazine top 100 star like that was like, I was like oh, that's my dream, you know. Oh, um, and yeah, and I got into I got into I got um, we're doing really well. We did loads of cool startups and loads of cool media stuff and loads of cool agency stuff in London. 
Um, Rich went to Blipper. He after three months he called me up. He said their recruitment is hell. Please come and do recruitment here for nine months. <laughs> I was and I was like I walked into Blipper. There was nothing like no no nothing built at all. Not even a careers page. Um, implemented workable in a day. Like by this time I'd been tweeting a bit and blogging a bit and had LinkedIn and like and like and I'd read all of Glenn's blogs. That's what I'd read all of Glenn and Kathy's blog. Like I just like completely used <laughs> out for about three months on and learned everything that Glenn Cathy wrote about. Um, and, and I think it was, um, I think Catherine Robinson as well was big at the time in the scene. Like, so it was like into like, and talent hacking was just about to become things. And at this time, so I met Rob Long. That came up and then down died quickly again. Cause I was in, like I was following that. And then I think, you're probably one of the only one who've officially had the title as talent hacker. Yeah. <laughs> Again, after that. For me, that was like the first time I spoke publicly um, at a recruitment event. So I, I spoke at talent hackers too, or I did the, um, all you need is a Google bar. All you need is a Google search bar to find candidates. Um, <laughs> and we took a job spec and we found candidates live and it was cool. And I, at that event, like I already met, I met a couple of people in this, in the scene, but by that, like, at that event, I met Hung Lee, I met Matt Buckland, I met um, Ken Ward, I met uh, a couple of other people as well. And then, yeah, I don't know, like Talent Hackers, I think Talent Hackers was never, was always a bit of a stunt, right? Because it was Rob from Workable, Michelle Coventry. The guy that wrote the kind of hack, yeah, the original article with quoting yeah, Matt. Yeah, he was well. a hire my friend at the time. And he yeah. said that hiring had to change and recruitment was broken. Oh my God, yeah. he said recruitment was broken. <laughs> um, it just reminds me, like, that's, this is not very long ago, right? It's four years ago, but like, yeah. DBR was built up of talent hackers. Yeah. Like that's how, because Hung was a recruiter still at the time as well. Um, and he, he did a list of the top 100 startup recruiters in London. Yeah. And then he did this like, oh, let's invite all these guys for a drink in the pub. And that's how DBR started. Like, and we started meeting up every month and getting really, really drunk on a Monday. Yeah. And it was like, Point we had to change the day because everyone was showing up once one Tuesday a week, <laughs> a month to work. Like, oh my god! <laughs> um, but it, and you know, I think like I think talent hacking. I think like that ethos came from the sourcing ethos of SourceCon, yeah. Um, and those people in the US and was branded in a very British way because we in London we were already we knew that to find the best to fill the jobs right when you were agency side you had to head on the candidate. Yeah. And you had to go and hunt those candidates. You had to have the relationships with them. You had to have the database. You had to be able to write a decent email, have a decent conversation with them, understand what we were talking about. Otherwise, there's already there's already so much competition in the market. So, and when I was like a young recruiter, the way I was able to differentiate myself was understanding the technology. I was working on broadcast tech, which my dad had taught me about when I was six. <laughs> like that was easy and I was super interested in media tech because I I thought when I left stopped being a chef that I wanted to go and work in SEO or digital marketing or something like that and then I realized that everyone wants to do that job and, and <laughs> actually not very many who want to do recruitment and what's more is that people weren't applying that SEO stuff to recruitment like no. it was really obvious and we're talking about stuff that was built in marketing six years ago we're yeah. like, oh, this is really cool. Let's use fingerprinting technology. <laughs> I, I've staffed the teams that were doing that six years ago. Like, 
why didn't I pick up on it? Like, and just say, let's build a fingerprinting tech for recruitment. Um, I think like, I think that's why, like, so if you think about like, if I, if I answer that, how did I get into this? I got into this a little bit on purpose because I saw the opportunity. Yeah. Um, but a lot of it, a lot of the stuff that's happened since then in terms of getting more and more interested is out of necessity. Like yeah. getting interested in how do you become a good recruiter? How do you write good approach emails? How do you hire good people? How do you find the right people? Only came from like building a Twitter, like building it and like, and like figuring all this stuff out and like, and I'm and failing and like, oh my God, I have written, I, we got LinkedIn recruiter, right? I remember the first time we got LinkedIn recruiter and we spanned everybody <laughs> like that was like everybody it was like oh my god i can write this as a job title search and then every single person with digital marketing in a 25 mile radius of london got the email <laughs> and yeah he, he and like and I'm, sort of, I'm yeah and i also in fact before that when i was at caspian one so their database was terrible um but I figured out that I could put tagging on the database. So I tagged people, loads of people, and I was working on product management and pre-sales and technical sales and all these kind of quite like techie, geeky roles. Um, and I remember spamming a product management job to everybody like at once, like literally like I spammed the whole market. So everyone, I got this job in on exclusive. Um, I thought I was, you know, the, the Don, I had my, my search set up. I told them this is what I was going to do. And I just hit send to everybody like everybody got that email and then i got these my phone was ringing off the hook it was great i can't believe you just sent that my team's job to everyone in the market like <laughs> like experience of, and nothing, nothing there like it's just like what have you done oh, God. and it's and it's people that aren't interested in recruitment that are doing this yeah this is my theory like it's yeah. people that are doing recruitment because they fell into it doing recruitment because they don't care about people. Like those people are the people that we need to replace with AI. Yeah. As you said, I mean, similar to, to you kind of like when I learn new things, it's generally for things that I don't know. And I'm thinking there must be a better way. There must be something that somebody else has done. Another industry has done that I can use. That's going to make me look better. My company look better and just make this more effective. Uh, Cause it's like, I, I don't want to spam people because if they actually get back to me and it's not the wrong person, it's going to be a waste of everybody's time. So how do I get that down to actually only writing people I want to talk to and writing them so they feel like they want to talk to me? And if they get back to me, that I know I'm not wasting anybody's time with actually talking to them. Yeah, because on the other end of it, when you start to do this growth hacking stuff, you get so many people that <laughs> message you that you don't want to talk to, right? Yeah. Like, Really, you start to raise your visibility, and uh, yeah, I mean, how do you give that? It's a dis. It's a, so for for me, one of the things that I'm really conscious of working at Indeed is is how do we educate these job seekers? How do we educate the job seeker as much as we educate the recruiter? Like the job seeker that sends me a message saying hi, Tris, with a profile that I don't know, with a profile that's not filled out on on my LinkedIn account, I, I can't respond to them. I don't have time in my life to do that. Like, or do I send them a response, which is a, this is how to write an email. Yeah. Well, I mean, sometimes that's, yeah, what you would like to do, but just having the time for that. Text expander. <laughs> True. Yeah. <laughs>
text expander, this is my, oh yes, <laughs> this one or the visa question or the... <laughs> so what are you working on now that's exciting and, well, that you feel excited about? I think the stuff that we're doing around market segmentation, mm-hmm. um, specifically recruiting readiness. So we're at the position now in Europe with our recruiting teams that they have, if they say they get a, an inside sales role for someone speaking Swedish in Dublin, they can go in the system and they can look at that list of people and they'll have a list of 200 people yeah. that are qualified to do that job. Um, the next step for us is how do we make that list useful for them? Like, give a list to recruiter. Give, you, you and I have had this conversation. Yeah. Give someone a list of 200 people. They don't know what to do with it. How do you tell them which ones to go at first? Um, yeah. And that's the problem that I think I'm most excited about. Um, it's market segmentation. It's coming from marketing. It's a bit of growth hacking. It's a bit of like leveraging some of the cool new technologies um that's really 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 excited i think there's some stuff that's coming from indeed this year which is going to be awesome for sources like super super cool i can't tell you that that. (laughs) exactly (laughs) Um, there is like some wicked 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 cool stuff that i'm super excited about um so that and i think there's a third thing as well which is like how do we use the act that we now have like some crazy big data Mm. like like on demand for us like um, Indeed's job trends or the new like analytics uh, indeed.com stuff where you can do the market map for you. Yeah. How do you now use that? How do you use that to as a competitive advantage? Um, so that, I mean, those kind of like big picture ideas in recruitment um, are things that I hope will make recruiters more effective on the day to day. Like um, the stuff that I don't know what else I'm working on. Trying to get more followers. <laughs> no, no, I see. I mean, you've the last kind of two years in a row, and yeah, your kind of New Year's thinking is have been like, how do we fix recruitment rather than trying to break it? And like, yeah, I've, I saw that from you last year. You had the same thing this year, kind of like, um, and in the different, that's the growth hacking thing, but it's also in, uh, in like the spam forum, like the Facebook group for yeah for recruiter spam and things like that. It's like instead of constantly talking about calling people out for doing it. How do we fix it? How do we make it better? Um, and I like that you kind of, because I think lots of us are thinking about that, but nobody's kind of calling it out and saying, let's stop calling people out that do it bad and let's start giving good examples of what it should look like. And that, I mean, that 100% comes from my leadership. Mm. Like, like, and, and it 100% comes from working at Indeed because that's what we care about. Like, um, that, that's the message. And I, I don't want to sound like I'm brainwashed, but like, <laughs> like genuinely speaking, like, I didn't expect when I came here to, I didn't expect to fit in so well. And I didn't expect to be given so much free reign. And I didn't be, expect to be influenced by so many people. And when you listen to what our CEO is talking about and what our SVPs are talking about, they don't, they don't pick on stuff that's broken. They pick on what are the solutions we can build to fix them. Um, and that's been really inspiring because I have to say that when I like, I got to my end of my time at list and I was pretty like stale and like not in a great place. And just a bit like, you know, you come off like the back of a, you know, what it's like. you come off the back of building, like doing that B to C phase startup where you've hired a hundred people in a, in a year 
um, and the company has just exploded. And, and the explode like the that explosion takes a huge amount of recruitment effort. So to be in a position where we can now, where, where I'm like being like you know encouraged and nurtured and grown in a, in a better way is awesome. Like I feel like I think a lot of recruiters don't get that. They don't like they don't have people that understand them that manage them. I think you said that as well. Like yeah. like I think that. Like it's really important. Like if we want to fix recruitment, like we do need to fix recruitment. There is definitely some problems. <laughs> like and so if we're going to fix it, like how do we fix it? And it comes from us educating all the way up to the CEO, right? Like the CEO needs to understand that him. And I think they're starting to get it. I think so. The conversation this week in the DBR admins that kind of like called out that DBR has such a powerful brand that VC partners are talking about us. Mm. That, um, that CEOs are coming and are trying to apply to DBR because they think <laughs> they can come there to learn about recruitment. Yeah. And so it's becoming like top of mind for a startup founder and it's becoming top of mind for a Fortune 500 CEO. And the problem is that that's about 2% of the world's businesses, maybe less. Yeah. And everyone in the middle, like, like we need to also educate those people. And I think that's like, I think it will come from the CEO and it will come from the, the, like those leadership groups of like understanding that. And actually there's another argument I had with someone very publicly in DVR this week where like, it's, if you invest in your staff, it's, it's not just an altruistic move. You're going to make a better business, make more profit. And so investing in your staff means investing first in your HR and in your recruiters. Instead of us being a cost center, we are an investment center. And I think that shift will come. And as you and I both know, the rise of the robots is happening. We can automate a lot of stuff. But that means that we'll focus on the human aspect of what we need to do in the business. This is one of the reasons why I'm interested in growth hacking again is because I want to be able to, one of my target markets that I want to be able to growth hack towards will be that CEO market how do i suddenly start to get their attention makes sense it's like i'm interested in educating the, the consumer the job seeker the, the the people that are writing crazy things in the search string I think you should come and like like the crazy things people write in indeed search boxes is just mad <laughs> <laughs> as i'm sure you can imagine but um it was similar to what guillaume was saying as well like you know him kind of like some of the 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 thing that he put on linkedin was around sales and sales leaders and like he had you know senior sales manager come to him because he's like you understand how we think we could see that from what you were writing and that's that kind of yeah that's the kind of point where you need to get to and not just in our own little ecosystem of bikudas like write stories for each other because Nobody cares at the end of the day. Also, we don't recruit recruiters. I'm not a rector, rec, right? No. Tell you what, the rec, some of the rector recs are great at that kind of stuff. So, like, I mean, I talk, talking about that, that girl that um, I, I started in recruitment with, um, Michelle. She uh, she's a wicked. She's got her own rector rec company now. Like, she, mm. she's wicked at Instagram marketing, and she like great at like she stopped doing LinkedIn altogether because she just doesn't find it useful. Like. No like because no one's engaging with her look at hunter like actually i'm gonna interview the guys from uh hunted as yeah. well they've done they've got like forty two thousand followers two years ago we never heard of them exactly they've got forty two thousand followers and like and they have seriously growth hacked that recruitment market um there is so many people you can get inspired from 
What about the Dublin? What's the what's the difference with recruiting and sourcing for Dublin compared to the other market that you kind of recruited for? Oh, Mark, you've been doing this longer than me. You know what they're like in Dublin. <laughs> hey, I haven't been living there for eight for ten years, so uh, it probably changed. Like Google was the only big player when I was there, and uh, now it's just one of many. There are so many great companies in Dublin, and there's so much great investment. Living in Dublin is a bit like living in mini London. Hmm. Like I live in a nice new build apartment. Opposite is Craft Coffee Roasters. Um, up the road is a supermarket, which is so ridiculously expensive that yep. I definitely like shopping in Zone One. Um, <laughs> there, there's great, there's great pizza places. You can get a decent burger. You can get a pint of IPA at the end of the day. Um, everyone is on too much money. They have no idea what they're doing. Um, and I think we have to be honest as well. I think a lot of the jobs that are being put in Dublin are not highly skilled tech jobs. They are yeah. incredibly monotonous, boring work. I think the, you know, there was a recent article about Cognizant and what they've been doing to their employees and paying them 11 euros an hour. And so wow. you have a lot of very smart people like coming to the, and that's an outsourced agency for Google, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, and, and you have a lot of smart people coming to Dublin, attracted by this tech scene, getting paid rubbish for completely boring jobs that uh, really shouldn't be being done there. Um, and on the other end, you've got these very skilled, very senior people in the industry that have grown Google, that have grown Facebook, that have grown Indeed, that are, uh, that are really, really good, um, that are kind of topping out. Like, they don't know what to do next, you know? Like... Uh, they're almost kind of I wonder what they, they're going to do so so Dublin is very competitive um, it's an interesting place to, to to recruit because you can make a name for yourself very quickly if you do it properly um, and you'll get people coming to you um, still because the quality of recruiter is not that great there um, yeah. and I've kind of learned that like I, I don't want to call anyone out really but um, having interviewed people on for the sourcing team at Indeed the level of sourcing, considering how big the sourcing teams there are, is horrific. Mm. Like there are people that did completely could not write a Boolean string, um, and they never learned the fundamentals. And I think that, and the other end of things is there's people there that are really, really doing an amazing job and are not rewarded. They're being paid terribly, and you know, it, so it's really weird. It's like it's really. I think it's going to change massively again in the next two years, especially with Brexit. I think there's going to be more competition for the talent i think there's going to be I, I hope so i mean i left 2008 and that was one of the main reasons why we left one the financial crisis and two there's a lot of work but not a lot of growth potential and we looked at coming back when we left germany um but and my wife interviewed there again but it's like you know 10 years on the salaries hadn't moved we're yeah. like why would we you know not going to go back doing the same you know with whatever five ten years more experience and starting at the same salary that we were on 10 years ago and that's kind of what it was and i see now as well that is what dublin is the prices are back to where they were uh, both in terms of rent and house prices and uh cost of living the salaries hasn't moved a bit since i left in 2008 the problem with dublin is you will always have people who are going to want to come there from everywhere in europe and everywhere in the world um, similar to London, but because they have a perceived of less cost of living than living in within the M25, you know, they're going to come to Dublin. 
um, which means there's always going to be enough people to take those jobs, but I, I, there needs to be a change in how they pay people. Yeah, I 100% okay with that. There needs to be more money. There needs to be more cool jobs. Like There needs to yeah. be more... Like, it, I mean, look at Facebook and Google. They've built the cool teams in London and they've left, them, left the boring stuff in Dublin. You know, I've, I've had a really great time in Dublin. I don't want to come across as <laughs> anti-Irish, but there are some things about that society which for someone who grew up in London and in France and all over the world and someone who comes from very open-minded, very liberal family um, and way of growing up, there are some things about that society which are pretty horrific and very old-fashioned mm. and very corrupt. And I think that's why it's like it is. Like the smart people will come, they'll stay a couple of years, they'll use that on their CV, they'll come back to, they'll go back to London or Berlin or Paris or wherever it might be, and they got, oh yeah, I've got, you know, I've got Google on my CV now, I've got Facebook on my CV, now, I've got Oracle, I've got Amazon, like, like it's the it's the badge, right? You know, that's yeah. that's what you do, and like, and that's why I went to train at the Ritz when I was a chef because it was the badge that I went for. I went yeah. for the the Ritz Paris badge on my CV so that I could then go and do other jobs and get paid well. And like, yeah. <laughs> and I think that's what it's like. It's very trans. Like you can almost definitely catch the people at three years uh, sourcing tip. <laughs> um, if you want to hire good people, three, two to three years in Dublin and want to take them back home, that'll be the way to get them. 100%. Yeah. No, and I think so. And I like, I've, I've worked for, and I've been in a couple of companies that have been scaling their tech teams there which was new and they were like, oh, Dublin, they got the languages, they got good techs, but we, they'd had to import a lot of them because it's like, you need a good Java developer, uh, a good, you know, then yes, there is a few there in Ireland, but a lot of them will be foreign. And I'm, I'm afraid it's going to be the same thing. And like, I've worked with companies that scaled it to, you know, 250 developers in a new office in Dublin. Um, and I'm afraid that, they're going to stay there for a couple of years and then they're going to get an offer from London or from Berlin or from Silicon Valley or New York. And they're going to jump on that um, because there is that gap in there's a ceiling in Dublin for when you get to those kind of 10, well, five to 10 years experience, you, you max out the salary and you kind of max, max out the growth that is normal in, in the country um, and you're going to want something more. And then if the country doesn't have it, you're going to go where it is. Yeah, and I think that's really interesting when we think about sourcing now. It's like, how do you source for, if you want to, you start to source on a global platform because you suddenly like, like, like how do you look for someone that has a particular skill set? Because actually I can look for this skill, if I, you know, if I want to look for a good sourcer, I'm going to look across the whole of Europe. I'm not going to just look in Dublin. Um, yeah. you know, because I'm going to be able to like the smart ones they're going to know where the, the smart people know where smart jobs are stole that from Ruth Penfold um, <laughs> and and because of that they'll come if they think it's the right job for them and yeah. that's the, the situation I was in you know I, I started indeed in London they said to me look you know we, we had this conversation we said if we want to build the sourcing function like we want to build it we're going to have to do it out of Dublin because that's where the recruiting team is and yeah. we, we want sources and sit, sat next to recruiters working together as a team 
you need to be in the same place so you can talk to each other. But, but you go for them. It's the same reason I ended up going to Berlin working for Amazon because it was a bad. It was, yeah, why not? It's Berlin. I haven't worked there. Same reason like I ended up in Dublin to begin with. It was like, all right, it's an English speaking country. Why not? And that did grow my career because it's the kind of country where they don't care how much experience you have. Like you can get a title very quickly. It's like, if you want to try something, do it. If it goes well, we'll promote you. If not, yeah, well, that's what happens. That's the Irish mentality. And that's what I liked about working there. Um, but then, yeah, you get to some point, you can get all the fancy titles you want as long as you don't want any more money. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, no, no. And then, yeah. I don't know how much more I can say about that. <laughs> Thing. What's the big, biggest mistake you've made recently? I think it's, um, I worked on a role. It's quite interesting because I think a lot of recruiters do this. I worked on a role this morning. Um, they are how recent. I worked on the role this morning, got a candidate, got them on the phone got them interested, um, sent them to a recruiter. Um, and because I didn't, I made the assumption that I knew what I was looking for, <laughs> I didn't ask her beforehand. I just sent her the candidate. And she said to write to me, oh, that candidate's great, but she's too junior. The hiring manager won't look at her CV. We got this, like, within, like, space of four hours, like, wicked <laughs> win. But, like, because I assumed that I knew what I was looking for, I over... The moment you, uh, this is like a mistake I'm consistently making at the moment is I'm over-assuming. Mm. I'm not being curious enough. Um, and I've made it a couple of times in the last couple of months. I've been just to run too fast. Um, I didn't, I, I, I did the candidate a disservice by sending the, like saying, oh yeah, I'll get you an issue. No problem. Like, because yeah. I was convinced she was perfect. And then the recruiter came back to me and was like, nah, she's like, she's like not three months off and the recruit and the hiring manager is really particular on this one. Um, so there you are. That's one this morning I made. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know you're right. I, I, think, think. I, I think I learned from that mistake. I think I learned that every time, even if I've only got two or three hours to do something, I need to like just spend the extra 10 minutes talking to the recruiter, qualifying the role, asking the questions. Especially if you're working on the same kind of roles all the time, that you, you think just because it's the same title or it looks the same, that it's going to be the same profile you're looking for. Yeah, exactly. Like, and, and I think I think we do get verticalized as recruiters and, and as sources, yeah. and we do end up like, oh, you're looking for a sales manager. Oh, okay, that's this profile. Like, I know I know X, Y, and Z for that profile, and actually, know that hiring manager is really difficult at this particular point. And then you you said you learned a lot of from from reading Glenn Cathy in your quote unquote younger years. Um, who is somebody that you learned something from recently? I'm always only from Aaron at the moment. I think we all are. <laughs> <laughs> Aaron is just like blowing my mind every time he does something. Um, just so like, just seems to just be pushing the, the limit a little bit more than the rest of us. Mm-hmm. I learned something from David Sankar as well like, this week, like his post in, in that growth hacking group about like, about how honest he was with his stats. I was like, yeah. oh, I'm not that honest. Like I'm not that open with them. Um, or I, I'm not as transparent as I should be. So that was cool. I like that. Like, that was definitely, I learned something there. I don't know. I, I think we can all learn. I mean, I'm, I'm following a lot of other industries. And I think, just as you say, we're very not open. Everybody talks about, you know, their war stories. And this one thing worked once in one company. But very few sources and recruiters are saying, these are my stats. This worked. This is the data behind it. Uh, whereas you go to, you follow sales and 
marketing, marketing automation. There's so many individuals and companies that just like, look, these are our actual numbers. This is what we're doing every month. This is what works. This is what it what didn't. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm missing that. And I'm, I'm kind of hoping that we can get to a point where we can all do that. Um, you know, make it so that we can share things like that openly so that we can all become better. Well, and I think actually like we should be like that, but you've got to remember that recruiters don't naturally do that because they think that they have industry secrets. Yeah. They think they have trade secrets and I think they have company secrets. And as we move and try and apply open source nessness <laughs> to I'm sure that was the wrong word, but open source <laughs> principles to you, you, you're calling a new word. About. Huh? You're calling a new word. Yeah, open sourcenessnessness. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, it's open. So as we apply open source principles to um, to recruitment, we're going to learn to ship that what we have, the information that we have, isn't that secret. Um, and I think that DBR has done a starting point of that, and I think that HROS has kind of done that a little bit. Yeah. But it's down to us. Like we don't have a platform like GitHub to share our code on. But it'll be down to us, like, um, dumping our stats um, and being like, last, last quarter I hit my goal and being open about our failures that will, will be that. Um, tell you, Enrico at Riot Games, really good at doing that kind of stuff. Yeah. Like, blog posts are wicked cool, very honest. Um, I know that if I did that, indeed, would freak. <laughs> and I think that, I mean, you saw it with... with that's been some of my feedback to, to, to HROS as well, especially in the beginning, and they've kind of rectified that end of last year, was that the only stories you got was from the big companies that had somebody that could focus on writing case studies for it. Um, and then they came out with their, you know, their kind of lightning, their, their, their sparks, where it was smaller stories and just smaller companies kind of writing about what they did well. Because mm-hmm. it's like, it's all nice and fun, but if all you're seeing is big case studies from Oracle about how they do things, I'm not going to resonate with that. Um, so yeah, it's about getting, and it's going to be the same for recruitment and sourcing. It's like, it's all nice and fun if you work for Amazon and have, you know, you hire 20,000 people a, a year or whatever it is. But if I sit and I'm the only sourcer in a company with 600 people, what can I take that you've done that I could actually use and, and you know, vice versa sometimes. And I think we need to empower more people as well, right? Like people yeah. are like stuff like this that you're doing is, is empowering people to have a platform to talk on stuff like DBR does that. Um, yeah. I think like just being able to be in, in a room and be honest with each other. Like that's where it came from, right? Like we had these conversations in the pub where we were just like super, you know, we were drunk and being honest and complaining and moaning. And like, so I remember I, I like, I let, I, I was like leaving my job at Blipper, so my contract was coming to an end, and I realized I had to get another job. So what I did is I did I put all my stats on a Google Slides and showed up to DBR with my stats on Google Slides and just showed it to people. I'm like, these are my stats. This is what I've done. And in fact, like my stats at at, at list are the same that they were on my my CV and my CV was public. Um, on my blog and like because like I, I wasn't too scared about like opening up those stats and you can do it the moment you've left right like yeah. they're not going to come after you too much <laughs> you can't do it with the company well, I mean, at, at the end of the day like you're not sharing you're not sharing any company secrets by doing that and like you know like I did the same I, I can look at my and I talk about that now I can look at my 
my stats from the last contract that I had. It's like, these are how many people I contacted and those kinds of things. Like that's nothing to do with the company as such. Cause I see that as like, okay, I contacted two and a half thousand Java engineers in London. This is my response rate. This is my positive. This is how, and those kinds of things. Chris, I'm just saying this worked, this didn't. This is why, and I can A-B test it and I can show you the results. Um, I don't have to share who those people were or what that was for, but it's looking at those kinds of stats. And we know that, you know, there is that kind of information as well. Like, indeed, you would have it. You would know which jobs do well when people do good job descriptions, what's do well. And LinkedIn does a similar thing with emails. Just nobody actually knows because they don't share it with anybody. Um, and that those kinds of things like that, I would want to know. It's like, okay, we all know that the, the thing we're using for contacting candidates, what we're writing in emails or emails or whatever it is, isn't very good, but nobody sits down and saying, right, now we've analyzed, you know, a hundred thousand emails or emails. Uh, these are the things that work. Like everybody has kind of anecdotes, but nobody has data to back it up. Or very I've few. I've seen, I've seen Eileen Lerner do that um, on her blog. Um, yeah. And that was 2016, I think. So, yes. you know, like yeah. we're two I years I think you'll off. see more stuff like that from us. I think yeah. this year you'll see more stuff like that. And, Hiring Lab, which is our team of econ- economists, um, is getting bigger, um, and they're starting to. Like today, they posted this tweet: "These are the hardest jobs to fill um, based on our stats." And it was um, volunteers, opticians, um, opticians. I was like, "What?" That kind of transparency from people like Indeed will help these industries and help recruiters in this industry. Get back yeah. In. And then that's what we kind of need. Like, you know, we, we need the tools we all use because you, you have that. I mean, a lot of the kind of research that people go back to with when to write emails and what to write in the subject line and what to put in the, has come from Yesware because they're tracking the emails that people send for, for sales. And I'm like, but because we don't all, except for kind of in mails, uh, which is going more and more away, but we don't all use the same kind of systems. It's like, it's kind of hard to get, an anonymized view of all of that in terms of what works, what doesn't work, when does it work, and you know those kinds of things. Like all of that A-B testing that we all do, internal company information of whether it works, or most teams don't have anybody who understands any of that data. Well, and, and you know what? I learned a lot about A-B testing recently because I realized that 90% of my A-B testing didn't work because it didn't have a big enough sample size. I think, you know, if as recruiters learn to work with different parts of the business as well, yeah as we go and we become integral to working with marketing and we become integral to working with product and we, we go and say to sit, when you have the confidence to sit down to a product manager and say, can you teach me this? Or can I show you this and tell you if it's any good? Yeah. I'll say that works. That doesn't work. This is right. That's wrong. And the employee of the future is T-shaped, right? I don't yeah. know who wrote that, but like it is like, you need to understand a hundred different things and have one or two particular like yeah, and I just thought about when you asked me that question about what's cool stuff that we're working on, one of them is knowledge sharing and documentation. Mm-hmm. Like, and how do you upskill people fast and share that knowledge? Like, yeah. I've never recruited on Belgium before, but if I can go to a place and it teaches me everything I know how to recruit on Belgium, then I can call, pick up the phone and call people and get responses to my emails. In our industry, more and more people are kind of open to sharing that because it's like you're not you're not losing anything. It's It's not the whole thing. It's that, you know, you have an apple, I have an apple, and and we share, we only have one apple each anyway. And it's like, it's the whole thing. It's like, you have an idea, I have an idea. We share, we both have two. Um, and that's what people need to kind of realize. And with our industry, especially, it's like, just because you know how to do a specific thing, 
doesn't make you the only person that people are going to go to. Um, so share it, then you know that more people are going to do it right. What's the things that you would like to know from other, other sources globally? I think, uh, well, I mean, how do we feel about stealing each other's ideas? I mm. think that's an interesting question to know. Like, we all know that we're stealing each other's ideas. How do we feel about that? Do you think we should do what Hong Lee says and blockchain our ideas so that every time someone uses it, you get paid? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's a good, I, I'm quite interested about how, how do people feel about... And I quite, I quite like it. As long as people attribute me to that, to, to my ideas, I quite like having my ideas stolen. So it's the, it's the whole Creative Commons, but with attribution. Yeah, Creative Commons with attribution, I think, is the way forwards. Um, how do we do that? God knows. But yeah, no, I'm definitely like, how, how do you feel about having your ideas stolen? If people want to follow you, uh, where do they best catch you and, uh, and yeah, hear more of your, uh, what you're working on? I probably talk the most on Twitter, Trish Revel, <laughs> um, definitely DBR if you're in-house. Um, I have trishrevel.com, which is really vain. I've always wanted to have a .com with my name. Uh, <laughs> and if you go on there, it shows you literally every single place. And if you try and recruit me by any other place than which isn't my personal email address, you need to get a new job. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I mean, yeah, I'm really easy to find. Go on, Trish Rebel. Anyway, <laughs> lucky to have a unique name, name, I think. And for everybody who wants to do growth hacking, follow Trish on, uh, on YouTube as well. Yeah, it's, I, I, I started, YouTube is a new thing for me. I wanted to, maybe uh, someone's going to call me a YouTuber soon. Um, there we, I have James Mays lined up to speak with that. Rob Long lined up to speak on that. Um, the guys from Haunted. Um, I'm going to be talking to, yeah, I've got some really good people lined up to speak on that. Uh, so, yeah, I'm super excited. And, and, you know, there's a load of stuff coming out of DBR as well. Um, this year I sat down on the planning, planning meeting. So, um, yeah, you're probably going to see us everywhere this year. <laughs> <laughs> I'm probably going to hope if my growth hacking works, you're going to see me everywhere. everywhere. <laughs> Perfect. Look, cool. thank you. I don't want to take too much of your time. And, uh, yeah. Oh, I'm, well, thank you very much. Thanks for sharing the love. Happy Valentine's Day. <laughs> <laughs> you too. <laughs> Thank you all for watching. I'll be back next week with a new sourcing conversation. This time from Brazil, where I've been talking to Kelly Meyer from ThoughtWorks. Make sure you subscribe to the show so that you'll get the latest show as soon as it gets released.